Now, both Matthew and Mark record this story, the story of this storm as they're going across the sea. Uh, and, but each writer emphasizes different things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to be flitting back and forth between Matthew and Mark because sometimes Mark says what I think makes it a little bit easier to understand than Matthew and vice versa. So we're going to go back and forth to both a few times. Um, now, the first thing that we see in this story is that storms happen. Can you say that with me? Storms. Boy, they do, don't they? Storms happen. Uh, have you noticed that they don't send you a text message telling you they're coming? Have you noticed that? You don't get a text message from God saying in one week, you're going to be in a major storm. No, storms come suddenly. They come suddenly for the most part. Now, in this story of the disciples crossing the sea, I want you to notice that they're only doing what Jesus told them to do. They are not in disobedience to the Lord when this storm hits. They're not living in sin. They're not doing anything to, to, to bring a storm on themselves. They're doing exactly what Jesus said to do. Get into the boat and let's go to the other side. So that tells me that even though you're in the boat with Jesus doesn't mean you're stormproof. As their journey begins, all is well with the world. They're excited. They're really cranked. They're, they've left everything to follow Jesus. Uh, they have just been totally privileged to hear the single greatest sermon ever preached in the history of the world one chapter before the Sermon on the Mount. They were there to hear it. And I believe it is the greatest sermon ever preached. Adventures and miracles and thrilling travel with Jesus Christ, the man of the hour, has been their initial experience in following him. Everything has been cool, exciting, goosebumpy. We're following Jesus, and look at all the things that we're experiencing. And wow, why isn't everybody following Jesus? Look at this. But suddenly, all of this is threatened when out of nowhere, a fierce storm strikes the boat that they're in. It says, suddenly, a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with the waves. Now, let me just pause a moment. And I want, you, I want to point out that the Bible teaches that nobody is immune to storms. Nobody is immune to storms. At the end of his famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus talked of storms striking the house of everyone's life at one time or another. Here's how he described it. And the rain descended, and floods came, and winds blew. And listen to the verbiage now. And beat on that house. I picture two boxers in the ring, and one of them throws a heavy, hard left hook and, and hits his opponent. It's, it's that idea. This house is being beat on by a storm. Jesus is describing a storm that, that tests the strength of our Christian life, and he symbolizes our Christian life by a house. The house is your Christian life. Your faith, your walk, your relationship with God, how you live every day, the strength of your faith, that's the house. And I want you to notice that Jesus said, this storm tests every part of the house. Rain is striking the roof of the house. 
Floods are slamming against the foundation of the house. And winds are pushing against the walls of the house. There is no part of this house that is not being struck by the storm and tested by the storm. This house that Jesus describes is being totally storm tested. Jesus said that the house will survive. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, listen, I'm going to liken you unto a wise man if you do what I said. Because if you do what I said, when the winds blow and the rain falls and the floods come and beat on your house, it will not fall because you have built it on the rock. And that doesn't mean just being saved. That means you got saved and then you built your life around the teachings of Jesus. If he said it, I do it. If he didn't say it, I don't do it. Everything comprised in Sermon on the Mount, you build your life on. If you just take Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and live the way it teaches, Jesus said, when your house is tested by the storm, it will not fall. It will not crash. It will stand. It will endure. And it will come out on the other side even stronger. But what we have in our day is we've got a lot of people who say, oh, yeah, I know Jesus, but they don't build their life on his teachings. They build their lives on secularism, humanism, situational ethics, uh, worldly philosophy and worldly thinking. And you see that when the storms hit their life, their lives collapse. Jesus said, if you do what I said, the house will not fall. But if you don't do what I said, the winds will blow, the rain will fall, the floods will come and beat on your house and it falls and great is the sound of its crash. So my first takeaway from our story is that storms always reveal where our weaknesses are. That's what storms do. In a real house, when the storm hits, if the roof is faulty, it will leak. If the foundation is flawed, it will cave. If the walls are weak, they will collapse. Storms come to reveal the weaknesses that we need to know about so we can make the weaknesses strong. What we're about to see is that this storm reveals some real weakness in the faith of the disciples. When they get in this storm, their weakness comes right to the top. And Jesus addresses it. So first, storms happen to us all, and they test how well we have built the house of our faith on Jesus' teachings. Are you doing what he said? Can the Bible tell you what to do? When I open up my Bible and it says, Jeff, you needed this and this and this, will I bend my life that way and obey the Bible? Can the Bible tell you what to do? Or do you cherry pick verses that you like and ignore the other ones? Which, which really describes Christianity in the West in our day right now. We cherry pick the verses that we like and we put aside the ones that we don't. But the Bible says all scripture, everybody say with me, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's breathed out of the mouth of God, all scripture. So all scripture can tell me what to do and how to live because it's the word of God. Now, the second thing we find is Jesus is silent in their storm. It says, but he was asleep. You ever felt like God was asleep when you were going through hell and back? Come on, everybody. You ever felt like God was asleep? Now, now, in the storms of life, the Lord sometimes really does seem asleep, silent in our storm. If you've lived long with the Lord at all, if you've gone on and had your walk with him, it, it has any length to it at all, then you know the experience of 
going through a difficult time where God seemed silent. I remember when I graduated from college, uh, UNT there in Denton, Kathy and I just thought that we were going to launch in a major ministry. But do you know that instead of everything happening, nothing happened? And I found myself wondering what God was doing with my life. And you know what really got me? He was silent. Now, he was speaking to me out of his word, the normal stuff. I could open up the Bible and it would speak to me. But, but the sense of direction, the, the sense of what we were to do the, with the rest of our life, God was silent. And I didn't understand it. Why aren't you telling me something? Why aren't you talking to me? And I'm going to explain that in just a moment, so hang on. I'm going to tell you why God is silent, so just hang tough. But I want to to show you that this experience of feeling like God is silent is so common to the people of God throughout the Bible. Let me just quote five quick psalms. Listen to this. David the psalmist prayed, Oh, Lord, you know all about this. Don't stay silent. Don't abandon me now, O Lord. Next Psalm, to you, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me, for if you are silent to me, I'll become like those who go down to the pit. Third Psalm, you have seen it, O Lord. Do not keep silent, O Lord. Don't be far from me. Fourth Psalm, hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my cry. Don't be silent at my tears. Do you notice that in every one of these Psalms, he's in distress and he's experiencing the silence of God? Fifth Psalm, O God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent. And O God, do not be still. And those are only five. There's way more where David is experiencing the silence of God, and he's saying, oh, God, don't be silent. I'm in distress. Don't be silent. Why the silence of God? Why is God silent in our storm? You read the book of Job, who went through a major, major storm, and you'll find that God is totally silent all the way to chapter 38 out of 42 chapters. All the way to chapter 38, God is totally silent. And when he finally does speak, he speaks out of a whirlwind, out of a storm. He speaks in the middle of Job's storm, finally. But for 38 chapters, silence. As he goes through the trial of his life. Most everybody who has walked with God has experienced this kind of silence. I sure did, and I have many times. And the disciples were in the middle of a life-threatening storm. Here they are, waves are falling into the boat. It is about to capsize. Winds are blowing it about like a cork in the ocean. They can't see any way out. And what is Jesus doing? He's asleep. He's asleep. How he slept during that, I will never know. He was tired, but he was asleep. Now, I believe that God does this. I'm going to tell you why I believe that God is silent. And some of you are experiencing the silence of God. And let me tell you why I believe that God is silent sometimes when we're really going through distress. He wants to see how well we've learned what he has taught us. It's a test. Think with me for a moment. We've all been in school. Do you remember being in school and when the teacher passed out a test? How many of you can say with me, Absolutely, when the test was passed out, not only did she command us to be quiet, but the teacher was silent. The teacher was silent during the test. Leading up to the test, the teacher is talking, teaching, talking, teaching, talking, teaching. But when it's test time, the teacher is stone cold silent because she wants to know if we heard her, 
Come on, everybody. She wants to know if we heard her leading up to the test. How well did you listen? How well did you learn? How well did you pay attention? Because when you're, when you're under a teacher, and Jesus was always called the teacher, the great teacher, rabbi, the teacher. He's always teaching. Sermon on the Mount is a teaching. How well have you learned it? How well have you taken it in? How well have you assimilated the word of God? Because when it's test time, the teacher is going to be silent to see how well you learn what they taught. God's exactly the same way. He's the same way. Just one chapter before this storm strikes, Matthew 7, one chapter, Matthew 8, is the story of the storm. Matthew 7, just one chapter before this storm strikes, Jesus had just told them that if they built their lives around his teaching, they would survive storms. One chapter later, what do they experience? Say it with me, a storm. Now it's test time. And notice the teacher is silent. He's asleep in the boat. So God's silence is often a test to see if we will walk in the word that we've already learned. How well did you learn to forgive others when somebody does you wrong and stabs you in the back and betrays you? How well did you hear what he taught you prior to the storm? Did you remember to forgive? Did you remember to not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, where you're going to go, that God will take care of you. He feeds the sparrow. He will feed you. So what are you doing freaking out in a storm of need? Because he's already taught us. So he gets silent. He says, let's see how well you remember what I said. Let's see how you weather this. Let's see how you go through this. Let's see if the roof leaks. Now, the third thing I see in this story is they flunked. Everybody say they flunked. Oh, they flunked. They failed. They got an F in this test because the Bible says they, they, they saw the storm and the waves are pouring in and everything they had just heard in the greatest sermon ever preached went right out the window of their memory and they freaked out and they said, Lord, save us, we're perishing. But here comes Mark. Mark adds, they said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So here we have a total collapse of their trust in Jesus' care for them. And hadn't he just told them in Matthew 6, don't worry about your life, don't worry about you, don't worry about the future, don't worry about your provision, don't worry about anything. Your God is a provider. He will take care of you. I will never let you down. I will never walk out on you. I am with you. If you, I, I, am, I am committed to you. I, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands in the middle of a storm. I will never walk out on you. I am here, though I'm silent. They flunked. They totally clapped. Test time is over, and the teacher stands up to speak a word in the midst of their storm, and he addresses the weakness that has surfaced in their storm. He goes right to the weakness that has surfaced in their storm. He says, why, guys, are you fearful? Oh, you of little faith. Where were you one chapter ago? The gospel of Mark adds that he said to them, how is it that you don't have any faith? Matthew, how, how come you've got little faith? Mark says, how come you don't have any faith? Where's your faith? Where'd it go? When the storm hit. You would have told me, disciples of mine, that you had all kinds of faith until the storm hit. Jesus wants us to know 
why, after all he has taught them, they still don't trust him. Now, I got some good news for you today. Are you ready? When a storm reveals a leaky roof or weak walls or a faulty foundation, the owner doesn't tear the house down in anger and do away with it. He just calls for a roofer to fix the weak spot. And that's what Jesus does. When we are in a storm and and the roof leaks or the walls collapse or the foundation kind of gives in, he doesn't say, well, I'm done with you. He says, I knew that was there. I needed the storm to show you that it's there. Now let's fix it so you're stronger. Everybody says, say with me, he'll fix my weak spot. Oh, he really does. He really does. And that's part of the message of the storm. This is what Jesus is doing with his shaken disciples. He's saying, what happened to your faith? Don't you know I've got everything under control? Don't you realize I'm watching over you? Don't you yet understand who it is you're following? Many of you remember that old emergency notification system. Suddenly, you'd be watching a TV show and everything would go blank. And a voice would interrupt your TV show. And here's what the voice would say. This is a test. This is only a test. And I love the last part. Important information will follow this tone. And then you would have that high-frequency noise you couldn't stand for about 20 seconds, followed by an announcement. Now, some of you uh, uh, um, younger folks don't know what I'm talking about. You're going to have to take this in faith. But some of us older folks remember... Uh, what would happen and how irritating it was to have your show interrupted. But I want to take those words. This is a test. This is only a test. Important information will follow this tone. Jesus could easily have told his disciples, do you think Jesus was shocked when they got into the boat and, and halfway across the sea a storm came? He knew the storm was coming. So he could have told them at the very beginning, right when he said, let's get into the boat, he could have told them, guys, this is a test. This is only a test, and important information will follow this storm. In other words, there's a message in the storm. Come on, everybody. Important information will follow this storm. And it became show and tell time for Jesus. And then he arose, and he looked at the wind raging and the waves rolling, and he pointed his finger at them and said, stop it. That's the Greek. Stop it. And all of a sudden, the waves calmed like a glassy sea, and the shrieking wind stopped, and the disciples have eyes like silver dollars. Because this man, they've been following, who's already been doing some miracles, but hey, we didn't know he could actually talk to the waves and talk to the wind, and it would obey him. They did not yet understand. He had made the waves and made the wind and made the world and made the laws of nature. He made them all. Without him, nothing was made that was made. And they asked the million-dollar question. They asked the question that he really wanted them to ask the whole time. They said, who can this be? That even the winds and the sea obey him. 
I can just hear Jesus, excellent, boys. That's what I wanted you to ask. That's the message of this storm. I wanted you to ask that question and realize the answer as well. Because here's the answer. Who is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him? He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He's the maker of the universe. He's God the Son. He's very God wrapped in flesh. He's the one who's going to come back someday and rule the universe. He's the defeater of the devil. He's the savior of our soul. He's the lover of our life. And Jesus wanted to move them up a notch in their understanding of who he was. Because you can't give what you don't have. You can't minister what you don't understand. And we've got a message for this world that is so rocked with chaos today. There is one who can speak to the chaos and tell it to stop. His name is Jesus. We don't preach a weak, limp-wristed, tiptoe through the religious tulip savior? Oh, no, no, no. He looked at a ferocious Eurocladon storm and said, stop it. I'm the Lord of your storm. He said, I'm Lord over all. You are following God wrapped in skin. Thank you for asking that question, disciples of mine. Now let me answer it. Let me recap. So far for the, pur- uh, with the purposes of your storm. One, storms reveal where your weaknesses are. Second, there's a message in every storm, important information that follows, if you're listening. But the last purpose of your storm is the most important. Some of you are in a storm going, what is all this about? What is this all about? He wants you to understand he's Lord over your storm. He's got it by the tail. It may not look like it, but he's Lord over your storm. He's going to carry you through your storm. He's going to get you to the other side of your storm. Your storm is not prevailing over him. He's prevailing over your storm. Your storm is not going to hurt you. It's going to strengthen you. He's going to get you to the other side. And here's the last message, the last purpose of your storm. Your storm is preparing you for your next step. Notice, as soon as they reach the other side, they were confronted with the worst case of demon possession recorded in the Bible. As soon as they passed through this storm and their weak spot was revealed and Jesus strengthened their faith, they land on the other side and they encounter a nightmare, true Halloween spectacle. A man came out of the graveyard. I don't know why Spielberg hadn't made a movie out of this. Because a man came out of the graveyard and he's badder than Freddy. He's worse than any creature or monster ever thought up by Hollywood. Listen, it says he lived among the tombs. He came out of the tombs, naked and screaming, out of the tombs, running towards Jesus and the disciples. Nobody could bind him. When they chained him because he was a threat to the community, he snapped the chains like they were cardboard. He he had supernatural, genuine, demonic Strength. Snap, he did with chains like they were butter. He roamed at night. Listen to the tragedy of this man. He roamed at night crying out and cutting himself with stones. That's why I say when you find somebody cutting themselves, it's always got a demonic root. 
cutting himself with stones, crying out at night, walking through the graveyards, his only home. Somewhere back there, he had a family, he had children, he had a wife, but this thing had gotten into his life somehow, some way he opened a door and now it's driving him. He is no longer in control. He's out of control. It's driving him, pushing him, tormenting him, crying out from the graves. And then Jesus landed on the shore. It's the whole reason he took them from point A to point B. He went all the way across the sea for one man. He'll go all the way across the ocean for you. He'll die on a cross for you. He goes all the way across the sea for this one man. And this man filled with demons, legion, for we are many, thousands of demons. A major hellacious door had opened up into the the doorway, the gateway of his soul. And he he is tormented and possessed of, of legions of demons. And he falls at Jesus' feet. And they begin to talk out of this man. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think the disciples needed the lesson they learned on the sea before they got to the other side? Do you think they needed that lesson? Do you think they needed to see that he could talk to the wind and he could talk to the waves and they would obey him? Because now we got a monster in front of us. And and if I hadn't been through that lesson, I might be swimming back to the other side by now. But he took them across the sea. He allowed them to encounter a storm. He gave them a message in the storm. Then he took them to the other side and they set a poor, tormented man free. And you don't find the disciples saying anything, running, crying out. They stand there in solidarity with Jesus Christ as Jesus told these devils where to go. I submit to you they couldn't have done that before the message of the storm at the sea. Now I'm going to close with this. Somebody in need is waiting on the other side of your storm. Somebody who needs what you now know. Somebody who needs the Christ that you have discovered in the midst of your storm, the Christ that can still the storm and speak to the waves and heal them and deliver them and help them. You can only give what you have. And what the storm is going to give you is an understanding of Jesus that will change somebody's life. What the storm is putting in you is what you'll need for what is coming at you. God never wastes a storm. So I want you to say with me, there's a message in my storm. Can we stand together today? There's a message in my storm. Can we all, I heard two of you. Let's, let's try everybody. There's a message in my storm. There's a message in my storm. I have just gone through a serious storm. And it began when the doctor told my wife that she had a terminal disease. My storm began. And I could hear the shrieking of the wind and I could see the rolling waves. And if there was a leak in the roof or weak walls or a faulty foundation, I was about to find out. And I'm going to give the glory to God. Heretofore to this day, I never 
got mad at God. I trust the Lord with all of my heart. I don't lean to my own understanding. I know that he's in charge and everybody has a date stamped onto their life. It didn't make me say, well, I doubt God. Why'd he let this happen to me? It did not make me say, where's God? It did not make me say, well, uh, how come this hasn't turned out differently? I didn't go through a faith crisis. Can I tell you, I know too much theology, meaning I know too much Bible. There were a couple of times I wondered if the roof was leaking, but it wasn't. So I'm coming out on the other side and I'm going to tell you, when you lose a loved one, you can weather it. He will carry you through it. Do I miss her? I was at her grave yesterday. I go and I talk to her. Now I've told you, if I ever tell you she talked back to me, you need to make that call. All right. But I do go talk to her. And I say, Kathy, I miss you. We miss you. The church misses you. But I know where you are, and I know that this grave is pointed east. And I know the resurrection is coming. And I have to trust the Lord deep down to heal my soul. And day by day, I'm more and more out of only what I can describe as a tunnel, a dark tunnel. And I'm coming out bit by bit. That's how I can stand up and preach. But I don't, amen. Um, it's still very, very, very hard, but I'm, I'm just wanting you to know that my house stood because I have built my house. Folks, listen, I'm so flawed. I'm such a flawed man. But one thing I've done, I have built my life on the teachings of Jesus. That's what I've done. That's, that's the Sermon on the Mount. If you'll build your life on SOM, the Sermon on the Mount, when these kind of storms hit, oh yeah, you, you know the wind is blowing. You know the rain is falling. You know the foundation is being tested. But your house won't fall. The house of your faith won't fall. Your life won't collapse. Have you built your life on the teachings of Jesus? Have you? Have you built your life on the teachings of Jesus? Let's go to, let's go to prayer. Father, we thank you right now.